Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 105th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that always brings a big blue cannon to every knife fight. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation. A quick message from our sponsor, Face-to-Face Games. Face-to-FaceGames.com provides competitive pricing on Magic singles and sealed product with shipping in both the U.S. and Canada. Check out Face-to-Face card pricing via MTGPrice.com, whether building your deck or stockpiling a spec. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host tonight, as always, is Travis Allen, a.k.a. at Wizard Bumpin'. And we're here to help you guys make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Uh, Hello, good evening. How's everyone doing? Glad to be here. Uh, Please bear with me. I am still getting over being sick. I'm not getting over being sick. I still am sick. Uh, so if nobody came up, nobody came up to me in Toronto, I'm assuming that the reason they didn't come up to me is because they knew I was sick and they didn't want to get sick. So I understand everyone. Yeah. And, and totally not because as the guy pointed out on Twitter today, he found your clothing too <laughs> intimidating. <laughs> Pretty sure it was tongue in cheek, but I liked it. So I'm going to take it seriously. Um, <laughs> our show is sponsored by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today, mtgprice.com, to manage your collection, track your specs, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. All right, so what are we doing today on uh, this a momentous Monday? Yeah, uh, segment one, top movers. Uh, cards that have moved the most in price over the last week. Segment two, cards to watch. Cards James and I think may rise in price. And segment three, our topic of the week, uh, if you weren't, if you weren't paying attention, uh, card got unbanned in modern today by the name of Jason Mind Sculptor. Kind of a big deal. Probably the biggest day for that format since its inception. Certainly a big deal. Uh, so we're, we'll kind of talk through that and see where things go because that's going to probably have a lot of changes. Um, so let's get started. Top segment one, top movers. First card of the week uh, is Jace. From uh, you know, world weight comic. No way. Yeah, uh, the lowest the lowest percentage gain for the week. Um, <laughs> of, of of the top gainers. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, really, all the copies. Um, I think it's it probably started at like sixty five this week. I think you can yeah, find yeah, yeah. that price. Uh, the cheapest price when I looked a little while ago was one hundred and forty. I know some co- some copies were selling at one hundred and fifty. Uh, so that's a little over a double up at the moment because it was unbanned. Obviously, uh, there is the coming reprint in Masters 25 with the terribly chosen set symbol A25. Uh, I know that a couple people on Twitter have said that the price will crash once M25 hits the shelves, of which I am not convinced at all. Um, I actually think Jace could hit $200 uh, because I don't think the Masters 25 supply will be good enough if Jace is even 80% of what he could be in modern. Yeah, let's say uh, we'll get into this in segment four. I, it's, too, it's too deep of a hole. Sure. So let me, let me move right along. Hollow One from Hour of Devastation as part of the new Black Red Hollow One deck in modern. Um, the, even the non-foil copies moving up from $1.25 to $2.75. Tough to make money there, but if you happen to be in, in on that in bulk at an earlier juncture, uh, you can sell out on play sets for you know three four or five dollars a set or something and do all right you might even get a chance to buy list a little later down the road if the deck uh is 
still in existence once Jace and Bloodbraid Elf hit the scene. Um, next on the list, we have Preordain, the, specifically the alt art version from Dual Decks, Venser versus Koth, moving from two, three bucks or so to about six bucks for about 100% gain. Uh, Preordain, not a super big deal at, at the moment, but uh, for the people that are throwing it into rando decks here and there, um, this is a pretty tough copy to get a hold of. Uh, yes, correct. I'm sorry, I completely zoned out. Were you talking about Preordain or Grave Scrabbler? <laughs> You're on Grave Scrabbler. I'm on Grave Scrabbler. All right. I like I heard you saying Preordain and like I zoned out and then I'm like, wait, was he still talking about Preordain? That was a long time. Uh, folks, Travis likes his cough medicine with extra alcohol. <laughs> I wish. Uh, next up is Grave Scrabbler, the common from Future Sight. This is a play on Grave Digger. Uh, it is uh, it's a four mana two two with a madness of two, and if you cast the madness, you get the Grave Digger effect, which is a graveyard to hand creature from graveyard to hand. Uh, foils from four dollars, like nine fifty. So a uh, nice little double up there, also based on Popper and a Future Sight border. So even reprints will insulate this pretty well. Uh, you know, so so the other Popper foils go. So will this one. So next on the uh, ticking the boxes for Black Red Hollow One is Goblin Lore, this time from 10th edition. The foil is going from 20 to almost $50. This uh, card hadn't seen any uh, printings in recent memory, so <clears throat> as soon as any amount of demand was applied against it, uh, supply was uh, not able to keep up, and up with the price curve we go. Yep. Uh, Chainer's Edict from Torment. Non-foils, uh, 6 to 15 on Torment copies, which is pretty wild. Um, let's see, the cheapest copy I'm seeing right now, yeah, probably 13 or 14. Um, so definitely a movement there. I, you know, the excess of FTV 20s that are going to get cracked for Jace's may push the price on that one down a little bit. Uh, but, you know, Chainer's Edict has had a price tag on it for a while now, uh, kind of independent of Popper's newfound popularity. So that's definitely what's pushing this up since it was already six or seven bucks without Popper being real a real format. And now it is. And here you go. Edict could easily be one of the Torment cards in M25, too. So I think you sell those FTV 20 copies ahead of the herd and um, definitely try to sell out of the Torment ones because sooner or later they'll, they'll gift this to the popper players. Yeah, for sure. All right, so next on the list, we've got Postmortem Lunge out of New Phyrexia. This is the uh, Phyrexia, the, I guess one of the least broken Phyrexian spells. Um, it's X in a Phyrexian mana. Um, so basically, you can return a Death Shadow for uh, one and two life, if you so desire, on the fringes of modern. Um, I remember people were fooling around with it last summer, and I bought a few foils real cheap. Um, now, apparently, the foils are at six bucks. I, you know, I think I got in at three, so it's the kind of thing you just leave in the, on the shelf for a while longer until somebody figures out how to make it into something actually relevant. And you know, if this thing gets up over ten dollars, wake me up. Yeah. <laughs> um. Next up is Obelisk of Undoing, looking at the Antiquities copy, two to seven. This is a, a terrible card from Antiquities that jumped because it's an Antiquities, who cares? Also, Crypt Incursion from Dragon's Maze, the foils from $1.50 up to five and change. I thought it was because if it's used as a modern sideboard card, it's actually really uh, good in modern. You exile all the creatures in somebody's graveyard and gain three life each. Um, so 
uh, can be a pretty powerful uh, sideboard card against burn, depending on if you're doing any milling. Uh, but apparently, uh, Popper players have the same idea, and it's in a bunch of decks over in Popper as a sideboard life gain card. Uh, so that's where that demand's coming from. And surprise, surprise, the other card that got banned that people were buying up uh, for weeks in advance and we were making fun of them are now looking super smart indeed as Bloodbraid Elf came off the banned list today and promptly popped up to 15 bucks. My Japanese foil copy from EMA sold right away. My Japanese copy sold right away. Um, and I suspect that the uh, EMA non-foils uh, will probably go the way of the dinosaur pretty quickly here, too, given how much inventory is left online. One for seven. Good job, guys. You finally got there. That was <laughs> worth it. Uh, next up is Flamewake Phoenix from Fate Reforge. Foils were a dollar and change up to six fifty on the back of, the again, the Black Red Hollow One deck um, that uh, did pretty well. Um, and it's continued to do well. Uh, so nifty little jump there. Uh, I, I I have 16 copies. I bought it $4 each during Fate Reforged pre-order. <laughs> there you go. You're positive. So, no, no, no. I have 16 non-foil copies, sir. Oh. So this deck needs to do a lot better before that's going to come back into the, into the black. Yeah, that's a long ways to go. Uh, yeah. Next up is Crypt Rats from Visions, uh, like 70 cents to $3 and change. Crypt Rats has two printings, 7th edition and Visions. Visions is the only black border non-foil. 7th was white bordered. I, I'm guessing I didn't have to look it up, but I'm assuming 7th edition foils are probably like 15 bucks already. But now the non-foils have moved too because it's, it's a nifty little card actually. It makes um, it deals X damage to each creature and each player as long as you just dump mana into it. So it's uh, you can fireball people with it. It's actually a pretty savage card in EDH if you have uh, the hell is it called? Uh, Urborg and uh, Cabal Coffers because sure. you just yeah. nuke everyone for 15 or something. Yeah, and and you've got things like Mana Crypt and Mana Vault and Soul Ring to help prop up your X spells. So, yeah. and it's 25 for Foil 7th edition copies, <laughs> you know, Foil 7th and all. So, the next three are all Legends cards that are total garbage, but people are just not satisfied until they drain every last copy of the first few years of Magic off the market. So this time it was Bronze Horse, Teleport, and Wall of Opposition going from $2 to $17 for Bronze Horse, from $3 to $35 for Teleport, for from $2 to $25 for Wall of Opposition. I su- would suggest that the market prices are probably drastically different than the posted prices at present. Um, these are all like 800 to 1,000% gains, but whether or not anybody's going to be able to convert any of that into profit has yet to be proven. Um, again, this is the kind of thing where you, you might be able to sell a copy per month or a copy per quarter or something, and you don't really want to be very deep. You're definitely not going to ship them constantly. But I did hear somebody talking about in Toronto, they had listed Legends copies. I don't know if it was 20 or 30 or $40, and people had bought them. Uh, they'd actually sold them. So someone paid that much for the card. Yeah, I mean, if I'm, if I'm focusing on stuff from that era, I want it to be either band list uh, popular in uh, old school um, or important from a nostalgia perspective. And in, until you've mined those particularly um, juicy mines, maybe ignore the rest. Right. Finally, for the week, Scent of Ivy from Urza's Destiny foils from a quarter up to about four bucks. So if for some reason you had a stockpile of foil scent of ivies, good job, I guess. Um, <laughs> but definitely a popper card. You just 
flip over your hand of green cards and some creature gets a huge pump. I would guess this is good in Infect. Popper Infect is my guess. I mean, I don't I don't even see this listed on any popper decks on Goldfish, so I, really? I'll take your word for it. It seems like a reasonable thesis. I've just never seen it played. It's got John Avon art. Something. Yeah, sure does. And those foils look, look awesome from that set, too. So if it's not popper, you can message us and tell us why. Yep. Um, all right. So <laughs> segment two, our cards to watch. We had plenty of interest on Twitter today of people being interested in to see what we would be picking this week. Um, and given that not, neither of us has had really enough time to absorb all of the content that's coming out from the pros and in an avalanche of opinions, um, nor do any testing, this is going to be a little off the cuff, but I, I feel relatively confident in the position of, of my picks. Um, what about so mine, my first, James? Well, you know, you know how I feel about the first one and the third one. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, moving right along. Uh, Ancestral Vision. Uh, foils in particular seem very well positioned um, because one of the nicest things you can do um, off a of Bloodbraid Elf is draw three cards for free. Um, so, and it's entirely possible that there will be Teamer and or Sultai builds that splash for uh, Bloodbraid Elf uh, and uh, are trying to make that happen. Who knows if we're going to get there every time the suspend cards seem to get set up to set up shop in modern, they get knocked aside or um, they end up being flashes in the pan. So, um, however, they, this oh, Jace being in the format as well as Blood Braid means that blue decks are better. So there's that support for Vision. Vision's been printed like four times now, but only twice in foil. And the first one original was in Time Spiral. Original Time Spiral foils are going for 100 plus now and are probably going to uh, be under upward pressure because of additional interest in the card. Um, Iconic Masters is not really where I want to be getting my foils from because I was just looking over cardstock again last night between that set and sets from like three years ago and was stunned at the difference. Mm-hmm. But the, the foils are like the art is nice. It's not my preference. I like the original art better, but others feel differently. And currently you can get these foils in at around 30 to $35. And there really isn't very deep surprise, supply because even though tons of Iconic Masters um, was you know supposedly flooding the markets via Walmart and and so forth. The reality is that foil rares and foil mythics from a non-mainstream set are still relatively easy to drain if there's a modicum of interest. When Ancestral Vision gets played, it's always of a four of. You don't play one or two Ancestral Vision. Either your deck wants the card or it doesn't. So in in as much as Jace the Mind Sculptor may not end up being a four of in modern, um uh you know, ancestral vision almost certainly will be if it if it becomes more prominent. So, I like these foils in the in the low thirties uh, because it just came out last year. I seriously doubt we're going to see it again uh, for a while, and I think those foils are going to get a chance to appreciate up until the fifty dollars range or so. I certainly like this as a synergy pick with your um, foil as foretolds a week or two ago. Yeah, I mean, is there an as foretold ancestral vision blood braid elf deck? I have no oh, idea. Oh man, with restore balance and <laughs> just, it's all the deck. You, if you're going to mention restore balance any further in public, you're going to have to come with a disclaimer about how many copies you've stashed away. Uh, it's just good everywhere. No one should wonder why. No, I, I, I didn't realize the foils were thirty bucks. It's pretty tasty on this, um, and the non foils are like pretty close to that, right? I don't think there's much of a gap in the the price there. 
because non, uh, no, I guess non foils are like 15, 18. So that's about where I would expect it to be. Yeah, I do think um, Ancestral Visions in a Jace, in a Jace form is better in a Jace format, I, th- I think, right? Seems like it's probably better. Maybe not. I don't know. Uh, it's like both of these cards have a chance to make this, to improve demand for this card. Yeah. And either one of them can get there. And if they both do, that's not, now you're talk, talking multi archetype staple. And that's exactly where you want to be. Yeah, I don't know. 30 bucks for foils on Ancestral Vision is pretty good. Uh, my, mm-hmm. go ahead. So, so, so this next one, your pick. Yeah. It's kind of like being in the Cloverfield paradox because we're, we're truly living in two different universes on, on, on this, this set. I was ahead of the game in 2015. 2015? Must have been earlier than that. When did FTV 20 come out? Uh, it was earlier than 2015, I think. It was probably a year or two it's before. It's got to be five that. years ago, right? It's got to be five yeah, years five ago because we're on the 25th anniversary. Yeah. It's 2013. So I think I was buying up sets maybe late that year, maybe early 2014. I think I had eight or nine total. <laughs> Long story short, I ended up um, outing the Jaces when it was revealed he was going to be an Eternal Masters. And I sent them all out on Puka Trade, feeling particularly cheeky. And I believe I ended up getting into either my Bizarre Baghdad with those points, or it could have been the Mish's Workshop. Um, all of which seems like a fever dream in another dimension, because not only can you not get cards like that on Puka Trade anymore, um, I sure wish I had just left those in the closet like you did. Yeah, I left my two FTV 20s, which was my pick, by the way, in the closet, in the shame closet, because I think I paid like 200 for them. And then they immediately were less than $200 and I never wanted to sell them and thus admit a mistake. Um, turns out Jace is an FTV 20 and Jace is legal now. Hooray. Uh, hey. If you can find any of these for under $150, I think they're a snap buy. Um, Jace alone will probably cover the price tag or close to it. Then you've got like Gilded Lotus, Chainer's Edict, Swords of Plowshares, Chameleon Colossus, Thrand Dynamo. Like there's a bunch of stuff floating around in there that's all all reasonable. There's nothing massive um, in there, uh, which is the reason why the damn thing's been underwater until now. Uh, but it's but you know with Jace covering basically the the price tag on his own, it, it's not a bad group grouping of value. Yeah, I mean, I've been selling through the Chainer's Edicts, the Findhorn Elves, Thrand Dynamos, no problem. Yeah, just make sure um, 150 is your ceiling. Do not pay more than that for this. Yeah, I, there's not very many left at the at below that price. In fact, I think you scalped some out of my cart um, online this morning. But, you know, all's fair in, in love and finance. The um, Jace. Yeah, I mean, this this Jace is, is a little tricky. Like, it's not a foiling process anyone likes. But Foil Jace is now an important card. I had a, I think it, it said, I was on miniaturemarket.com. <laughs> I had a original World Wake Foil Jace in my cart, but their grading system is this, like, the whole, the sketchtastic one where it just says played. So either it's near mint or it's played. And you don't know whether played means, like, MP or it means, like, SP slight scratch. So I didn't pull the trigger, thought about it for too long, and three minutes later I got scalped over on that cart too. And it was for I think two forty nine for uh, a nebulous Whoa. world wake. Fo- that place. is that is such a <laughs> that is a tempting price, and probably I probably would have done the same thing. I would have been like two fifty for a world wake foil, but it's not near mint. What am I getting into? Yeah, that's tough. So, and the thing is that like one of the the factors here, especially on the foils, is we know 
with some degree of certainty that M25 is going to use the same pro- production process as Iconic Masters. And we know that sucked. So sure, there's new Jaces coming out and that's going to exert strong downward pressure on the price versus the peaks that it's seeing today. Um, once we hit peak supply in like mid-March, early April or something, and everybody's like cracked their two boxes or whatever and, and the market is flooded. But a lot of those Jaces are just going to get swallowed right into modern collections because even if you're not pl- playing a deck that needs Jace right now, you're going to feel like it's not a card you want to give up. It's kind of like Goyce. You don't, a lot of people, people don't necessarily go out of their way when they start playing modern to acquire four goys. But if you pop one in a pack, you probably don't flip it out. Like it depends on your financial situation. How, how much do you need the money? But if you're relatively stable and you're not in any rush to sell out on, on any particular card, then you probably just put the goy aside and maybe you're going to get a few more later. And I think that Jace is going to play out pretty similarly. Like if you pop one in a pack, I don't think you're going to flip it into the store super quick. Uh, I, I agree. Jace is exactly the type of card that people won't get rid of when they open because they think they might need it. And they also know that they could never bring themselves to rebuy it later on. So they hold on to the one that they have. Uh, so it definitely sets up well for that. I mean, between between like casual, cube, EDH, modern, legacy, like it, it's now that it's back in modern, it is squarely you know, the, it, the definitive multi archetype card. Yeah. Um, multi-format staple that many people are going to want to own a set of. And if they can't afford it right away, they'll, they'll work towards it. Um, that first copy can be the gateway drug to an entire playset. Yeah. Uh, what is your second pick this week? Um, so I think spell queller is very well positioned because it, uh, so happens to counter forecasting cost spells which is going to be well-positioned against Bloodbraid Elf and well-positioned against Jace. Um, you know, if, if they... The thing about Blue and Jace that I, I, I still have some question marks around is that tap-out Blue Magic is not as good in Modern as it is in Legacy. You can't tap-out and then use Force of Will. Your best option is to uh, use Disrupting Shoal, right? And that assumes that you've got, like, a spare copy hanging around in hand that you can counter with after you've played your Jace. So depending on how the meta shapes up, it's not clear that the blue decks want tons of copies of Jace as opposed to, say, Cryptic Command. And that's going to be a key tension, right? How many... You you can't run eight four ofs in this format. There's too much aggro pressure between burn and humans and affinity. And if the format gets too slow like that, then those hyper aggro decks are going to take advantage. So, But the kind of like mid-range, like aggro control strategies that can run put some pressure on the board compete against the aggro decks but maybe spell queller to get like a good uh, tempo swing slash card advantage um could be a thing and the foils are have peaked i think i was selling them up to closer to 30 now i can see some copies online closer to 2022 20, i think that's a pretty nice buy-in point um for them to get to 40 before they get reprinted now keep in mind that um Ma- uh, masters 25 um, in theory, has cards from every set in Magic's history. It may even have Ixalan cards or even D- Dominarias. Who knows? So um, nothing is safe and nothing's off the table. But because they have to cover so many sets, you're only going to see a couple of key reprints at most from each set. A lot of sets are going to just be some random common or something that doesn't really matter for our purposes. But something like Spellqueller that's a couple years old now could easily make it into the set. Something like Coligan's Command could make it into the set. Um, 
there's a there's a lot of stuff that if it doesn't get reprinted here, I think it's got the foils have a, a great chance to advance. And if it does get reprinted, they're going to collapse. So you're taking a little bit of a risk, but yeah, spell quellers to go from say 20 to 40. I completely agree with your, your read on masters 25. And you know, if we, this is a type of card that could show up there and if it does, you get hosed, but if it doesn't, you're in the clear for a while. I also already like this card in foil. I think you and I have probably both talked about it at some point over the last three months or something like that. So uh, it's decent. Um, for sure, you know I liked it as it was, and being able to play it in a deck with Jace is still fine. Uh, you know, if you're turn, if you're planning on just turn turn three spell qualifying absolutely any spell they cast, and then untapping and jacing on four with a two three flyer and play to protect them, that's also completely fine. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm on board as yeah, long as you dodge M25 print. Yeah, there's nothing saying you're not you're not building with Jace and Spellqueller and answering Jace's at the same time. Right. Uh, okay, my second card this week is Creeping Tar Pit. Uh, I like the... Uh, do I, I have foil written down here? But that's supposed to be non-foil, actually. Uh, non-foils are right around $20 today. Uh, if you go back and look at Old Standard and Extended, because remember, Extended was a format and Jace was legal in it. Uh, really really bring you back um the most common card that you saw float around the most common land that you saw float around with jace was celestial colonnade like almost 100 match celestial colonnade is now 60 dollars on foil so we're not doing anything with that but creeping tar pit is like the second great land to pair with jace for a couple of reasons uh it's unblockable which means you get to just peg their jace without any lingering soul tokens getting in the way, um, as well as being able to pick on Liliana the Veils and stuff like that. It doesn't get hit by Liliana the Veil or by uh, their Jace Bounce, um, although it can jump in the way of Liliana if you need it to. Uh, And, you know, Celestial Colony is obviously blue-white. White and Extended and Old Standard was an excellent color. In Modern, I suspect black is probably better. Right, you've got you've got all the hand disruption. You've got Liliana the Veil, Collective Brutality. Um, there's a lot, you know, there's a lot of tools. Well, and and now you have Fatal, fatal push. push, right? I mean, right? J- Jace didn't get to play alongside Fort Fatal Push in the past. Now he's got a one mana removal spell of relevance yes. that really that really protects the early game or gives him. You know, if you're on five mana, drop a Jace Fatal Push the next threat. That's that's tough. Yeah. So basically, blue black I think is probably better positioned to be the like the Jace, the two color Jace stack than blue white is. It's my inkling. Or and, and Grixis control. Sure. Right? sure. Like you're Grixis still playing too. Tarpit and Jace in that version. Yeah. So you know the supplies are low on Tarpits. They're twenty bucks right now. Um, now, if you don't own copies, it's probably not a bad idea to snag them. And if you want, if you're planning on playing with Jace, and I do think that we could see it a, a pretty easy double up to 40. You know, it's not going to hit Colonnade 60 without some proof that it's definitely where the Jace players in the format want to be. But like the first guy, you know, you get two or three guys at 5 MTGO leagues with Creeping Tar Pits, this is going to be $40. Yeah. And I mean, all flavors of deck cannot exist simultaneously as best. Like, there's some jostling, for instance, in the, what's the best Death Shadow deck? Is it Grixis Shadow or is it Traverse Shadow? On any given weekend, in any given meta over a course of several months, they'll kind of figure out which one of those is best. At present, it's probably Traverse. And 
Um, likewise with JSTACs, what the best JSTAC is, is going to materialize over some period of time. And um, as results come in and the meta shakes, it shakes up and then settles. Um, I had no idea, first of all, that Celestial Colonnade was up over 50. Yeah. Um, and, and, and supply is like almost drained. I have a Jeskai modern deck that like a bad tempo burn version um, from last year that I clearly need to disassemble and sell. <laughs> I mean, what, because my fear here is that that entire cycle is going to get reprinted in M25. Uh, so Colonnade, by the way, has been 50 over 50 since the, basically the start of the year. Um, and then it looks like the jump up to 60 was like today, but. So, I mean, that, that's, that's one of those slow burn cards that didn't really show up on our radar. I don't remember it ever being on our list for the week. Um, but you know, that was a card that a few years back you could pick up under 20. Oh yeah. Uh, well, uh, in 2012, they were $2. <laughs> so, so, so what's your fear for creeping tar pit in that whole cycle to show up in M25? I mean, if it's that, if it's not that, what is it? Uh, fetches from KTK? I don't know. Like it's the whole cycle. Well, so they're cons or not cons. They're world wake and Jace's world wake who we already know is in, in masters 25. So like they already have their world wake box tech ticked. If they, if they, you know, if they're worried about that, these lands do need a reprint, but I could also see them doing one offs of these. We've seen it before. Um, so you know, if they one of the nice if they dodge Masters twenty five, you're safe for at least a little while. One of the nice things, though, is that sometimes when you if you print a cycle of five rare lands that are all over twenty, um, you've got problems because the EV math doesn't work. You're you're pushing value down in the rest of the set. The second, basically, with these kind of sets, they can only be worth so much on average. Otherwise, the boxes become just ridiculous. If you put $1,000 of EV into a, a box that's pre-selling for $150, you are going to have real problems in the marketplace with hoarding. So, and as much as they like to say publicly that they don't pay attention to the secondary market, they clearly do. Like somebody sits down and actually plans out the EV for these sets um, to make sure that it's reasonable. So, because only Creeping Tar Pit and Colonnade uh, are pretty far up the chain, right? They could print this cycle. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to say they're not. It's, it's on the table. I would hesitate to pull the trigger on this until we start to see the spoilers come in, unless you can get a really good deal. But if you dodge M25, you're probably safe for at least several months. Because like Colonnade over 50, Tar Pit at 20, but then Raging Ravine and the other two are all below yeah. 10. Like Lava Claw Reaches is at two bucks. Um, and what's the fifth one I'm missing? Uh, stirring wild, stirring wildwood. Right. So, I mean, wildwood over under two bucks too. So the nice thing about that cycle is they can get creeping tar pit in there as a $20 rare and colonnade in as a 60 that quickly falls below 30 and all is good in the world. So I I love this pick. If it doesn't get see the reprint, um, I fear it though. And I think that I wouldn't want to be too deep in it given the uncertainty. Sure. Which is fair. I think we've had this M25 hanging over our head on a lot of our picks for a while now. It'll be nice to finally kick that can down the road once the time comes. Well, I think the argument is exactly the same on my next pick, which I mentioned before. Coligan's Command Foils, uh, or sorry, Coligan's Command Non-Foils are sitting at about 16 bucks. And uh, Khan's Block Cards, definitely on the table for M25, as is everything else. 
Um, if I had to pick something out of Dragons of Tarkir to include in the set, I would think that Coligan's Command sitting in that like <clears throat> decent rare, no one's going to complain about opening, but it's not too expensive. So it's not a huge impact on EV in and around the $15 slot is just about perfect. And then it knocks it down into the like five to $8 range. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So um, I, I wouldn't recommend you guys go too deeply on this, but it was something I would be will I would be finger on the trigger to grab a bunch of if it's not in the set list. Because it Coligan's Command, because it references a sp- specific character, is one of those cards that can really only show up in Master Sets and Ancillary products, because not going back to Tarkir anytime soon. And because of that, it's safe. Probably, If it doesn't show up in M25, as far as we know, it would be safe out to, say, Modern Masters 2019, which would be at least another year, at which point I think it's pretty safe to assume that the, um, the original printing gets up over 30 bucks. I I definitely like Colgan's Command. In fact, I'm pretty sure I wrote about it in my article like 25 minutes ago when I posted it on MTG Price uh, because it's in the same position. It pairs really well with Bloodbraid Elf, right? Like Bloodbraid Elf really likes those three mana um, efficient cards. You know, you want to get the most out of your Cascade. It returns dead Bloodbraid Elves to your hand, which is just the most disgusting thing when you're already Cascaded into it from Bloodbraid <laughs> Elf. Uh, it's, it's just very gross. versatile. It does a lot of work. Supply is low. And if you dodge, yeah, if you dodge A25 here, it's it's definitely uh, well positioned to be a $30 card. I, I have Russian copies that I bought at the tail end of that standard for $3. $3 for Russian copies? You, yeah. well, what has your experience been with trying to sell non no problem cards? Like I'm sure no you can get rid of them, but like what's the multiplier over English? A lot. I, I'm going to post those at forty eight eighty eight tonight. Forty eight dollars and eighty eight cents. So triple, maybe maybe forty four eighty eight just to test the market. The here's the thing that we, we were talking about this off cast. because we know that the the outlet the key conduit for modern reprints aside from the occasional standard reprint like a like a thoughtsies which they said is not their preference in terms of how to reintroduce key modern cards because it skews the standard format around them so if you accept that the conduit is through these master sets and we're gonna get one or two master sets a year but the master sets are always printed in the same three languages english japanese and simplified chinese the chinese cards have almost no financial impact because virtually nobody outside of china um, that doesn't speak uh, simplified Chinese is in any way interested in those cards. So it's really just comes down to English is the standard and Japanese is great. If you can get your hands on it, you're going to pay a premium for the boxes and, but the cards will have a premium, but original Russian modern and or legacy multi archetype card, multi-format card staples um, are something that nobody should be sleeping on. I'm going to be writing up an article about ideas for MTG finance in 2018 and Russian cards is going to be part of it. You don't want to have 50 copies of a obscure Russian non-foil EDH rare because you're just going to have trouble finding the right parties to buy it. But no one's going to turn down a Russian copy of Coligan's Command or an Ancestral Vision or a Jace the Mind Sculptor if there's only ever been one printing. You just don't need to have – you can have the shallowest of demand at the high end of the price bracket on the price curve and still be able to out your copies. So it's the – what the habit I've fallen into is anything that looks like it's going to set up and shop in modern, something like a Traverse the Ulvenwald, a Spell Queller, a Coligan's Command, um, as foretold. I go ahead and get full, as many foils and non-foils as I can get in Russian because they are probably safer reprint maybe for all time 
at least for five or 10 years, because the demographics in Russia are such that you're, the, the, the double handful of LGSs you have in that country or whatever are highly unlikely to suddenly explode based on a shift in cultural values in Russia to expand into hundreds and hundreds of stores. And as a result, Wizards has no reason to be reprinting Russian cards ever. Yeah. Uh, we, were, we were talking about this beforehand, and it, it, you raise a good point that you, you can't they don't reprint any of the. They don't reprint any of the Russian cards. So, and even if they did start reprinting Russian, uh, you've still got the original pack version of the Russian card instead of the new Russian. And if the card quality keeps going the way it's going, then anything a little anything printed earlier than two years ago in Russian is really good because then you get the higher card quality as well. Definitely, uh, definitely an interesting angle. I mean, the other the other part of this is that like. I stockpiled Russian boxes of most of the sets for the last three years. Boxes in general are not going anywhere. And even the Russian versions of say uh, everything, but like say cons of Tarkir, because that potentially gives you a Russian foil polluted Delta or whatever. And I actually opened one of those when I, on my first box back in 2014 and sold it for like $900 plus, which paid for all the rest of the boxes for the rest of the rest of the year, which actually kicked off this whole process. And everything after that has been extremely low on price appreciation. So a, a Russian box of Dragons of Tarkir or say Shadows of Ministrad might be up 10 bucks from where it was when I got it in the like mid 80s to, to say up to $90. But the thing is that if, if you're going to play standard and modern and you're going to be serious about it, you're going to get to know the cards by sight anyway. You don't generally need to have the Oracle text in front of you if it's a deck you're playing on a regular basis. And it's a good habit to get into anyway of memorizing card text. And if you're capable of doing that, then you're doing yourself a dis- disservice, I would argue, if you don't just buy Russian boxes exclusively, because there's almost never a premium on them. The thing is that almost every dealer in the US, every vendor in, in the Wizards Play Network is offered Russian, Korean and Japanese boxes, more or less as much as they can get their they choose to get their hands on. But throughout most of the Midwest, other than some of the coastal cities with like high cultural diversity, most of the Midwest is not really that interested in those boxes because they want to just play with the English cards. So I've had no trouble getting them out of like places like Pennsylvania and Ohio and and further afield in Colorado from vendors who are only too happy to like, you know, flip me out some boxes for like five to ten dollars profit per box on each set that comes out. And then the thing is that like even the non-foils are going to have some price premium. But if you get lucky and you open like a foil Russian um, version of a key card, it could easily pay for the whole box. And it doesn't even have to be that big of a deal card. Like it doesn't have to be a foil um, uh, Liliana the Last Hope out of Eldritch Moon or whatever. I got a non-foil Liliana the Last Hope out of the box I, I popped last week, and that was two-thirds of the box price right there. That must have been pretty nice. Well, I, and then I did it back-to-back with another box. And the thing is that like getting lucky on boxes is lucky. It's not something you can rely on. But all I'm saying is that if it's a $5 difference between the English and the non-English version, Japanese, Korean, Russian, in in reversing that order, so Russian, Korean, Japanese, why not give yourself the potential upside? Right. No, I think it's very fair. It's a lot of people are probably going to be scared off because they don't know if they're going to be able to get rid of them, uh, which is not an entirely unfair thing to be concerned about. Uh, But, you know, if you've got something like that and it's, it's really juicy, uh, you know, reach out across social media to, to some of the people, um, be, you know, or GPs because uh, they can definitely put you in touch with people who will be able to help you 
connect with someone that actually wants that card as well. Uh, you know, you always have the that option available to you if you've got those types of cards uh, and you're not sure what to do with them. Well, I mean, this is the kind of thing where like on other casts that are more vendor focused, you would get a totally different opinion because from a vendor's perspective, that stuff is like a waste of time. From a vendor's perspective, if they bring in some Russian boxes, they might sit on the shelf forever. And those guys are looking to churn inventory. The faster they can turn it over, the better. And and they're willing to take a smaller profit over a shorter period of time just to make sure that they're constantly cash in hand, ready to take on the next opportunity, ready to buy the next collection, etc. So for them, it doesn't make sense to be stockpiling 50 Russian boxes. But if you're going to buy one box or two boxes of each set that comes out, all I'm saying is that you're not... If you're stuck with anything, you're only going to be stuck with um, a couple of copies of it. You know what I'm saying? Like I pop a box. I have one Russian copy of Lily on the last hope. I pop another box. Now I've got two. It's not going to be hard to up out those two copies. Now, would I want to go deep on like 100 copy Russian copies? No, because that's going to take a long time to unload. And if you're playing the buy list game where you're trying to get like two in on $2 cards at like 200 copies and out them at four, that's a different game. And, and this isn't where, where you're, it's a different game you're playing completely. But from a standard perspective, it just, I'm having trouble going wrong. I mean, for instance, I opened a Shadows of Innistrad Russian box the other day. The EV on Shadows of, over Innistrad is $20. You're supposed to get $20 in value from your SOI boxes. And the Russian box was 115 And I had paid 80 for it. So that's not a, a tremendously great result because I probably have to flip at least the three highest value cards in, in it to break even. But I didn't lose anything and I've got all this cool stuff. Like you get all these like cool $1 to $3 cards that you can throw into decks that, you know, you're not going to bother unloading, but they were covered by the most important cards that you popped. I do love cool stuff, you know? Yeah, I, I, I agree. You, you'll have to keep in mind too when you're listening to people Foreign cards are difficult to work, can be difficult to work with, but uh, is Russian, which is today holds a position as the most sought after language. Uh, You know, if you're going to get involved in that space, it is certainly the best way to make you the use of your time if you're going to get into it. And the the low and the mid end, you're basically you're going to end up with commons and uncommons that you know, are a little more annoying than English and are a little harder to get rid of. But on the high end, like you can get cards that are worth five times their English counterpart. So uh, if you like to gamble, it does seem like that you can really, you can really spike some stuff in those types of packaging packages. And if you're, if you're identifying modern staples early on, like the cards I mentioned earlier, the traverses and the spell quellers and so forth, and you know, you place bets on a, a reasonably diverse portfolio, but you don't go too deep on any of them. Maybe you've got one playset, two playsets, three playsets max, assuming you can even find that many, because the thing is there aren't that many Russian vendors on eBay and TCD player, even over on MKM. And, you know, my, what I've seen is that about 24 months after a set comes out, most of the key Russian cards have dried up. Um, the foils have, have exploded and there'll be like one dude on eBay that's got a copy listed at 150 or 200 for something. Um, and the rest are just gone. They've been absorbed into collections or, you know, the Russian guys aren't popping any more boxes. So they've moved on to the new thing. Um, so you don't, you can place bets across like five or 10 cards and you only have to get lucky once or twice to cover that whole endeavor. And then you've still got this other stuff around that probably hasn't gone down. It just hasn't appreciated as fast. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, uh, it's empty. I hadn't really, I haven't gone out of my way to acquire Russian stuff. Uh, but you know, I, we, when we were chatting about it a little earlier, it certainly caught my attention. I have to, 
look a little closer when I'm when I'm picking stuff up to see what the uh, alternative options are from just uh, like English foils. I mean, in summary, stockpiling boxes is a bad idea. Period. But if you if you've got to pop boxes, you may as well pop Russian um, because upside. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about your final pick. Uh, well, I decided to get super splashy because, as James said earlier. We haven't really had time to review any of this stuff, right? Like Jace was just unbanned. I was working all day. I had other things to do. So it's not like we've had time to kind of grind through and figure out what to work with. So I'm like, all right, what uh, what seems like you could really hit it out of the park if you got lucky? You know what you could get lucky with? Descendants Path from Avacyn Restored. Uh, you can pick copies up for like three-ish, three fifty right now. Amusingly enough, there's actually not that much supply. There's fifty-eight vendors, which is which is not you know that's not nothing, but it's not like two hundred. Um, and if you narrow that down to non-foil English, uh, you're down to under forty. Uh, so there's definitely some some demand there since the price is already three fifty. The card, by the way, is uh, it's a three-mod enchantment. At the beginning of your upkeep, reveal the top card of your library. If it's a creature card that shares a type with a creature you control, you can cast that card without paying its mana cost. So the idea here is you cast something like uh, Nettle, uh, Nettle Sentinel, right? No, not Nettle Sentinel. Uh, shoot, what is a two-mana one? What is that creature called, James? Two mana what? The green, all two mana green Eldrazi that makes a token from World from Rise of Eldrazi. I swear it's Nettle something. Shoot. All right. There's a there's a card like so. The idea is that you put a cheap Eldrazi into play, like one or two mana, and then what happens is uh, you now have Jace, which is brainstorming and shuffling cards from your hand back into your library, which then sets up your Descendants path. So you go two mana. Uh, you cast this Eldrazi card, three mana Descendants Path, four mana Jace. You can brainstorm and put an Emrakul back on top of your library. And then that way, at the start of your upkeep, you reveal the top card for Descendants Path. It's an Eldrazi. You have an Eldrazi token in play. You now get to cast your Emrakul. So basically, Descendants Path really cares about the top card of your library, which Jace is going to help you set up. Um, and there's a variety of cards of this general stripe in modern that uh, pay, you know, are, reward you for knowing the top card of your library. And we haven't had a repeatable brainstorm effect to set those up before. Jace is kind of the, the for, our, our option for that. Uh, it's people are definitely going to try like mid range and control strategies with Jace, but he was also very good in combo decks because he was just so good at holding down the fort and doing so many things at once. And then also being able to help put your combo together with um, brainstorming. So uh, if you like playing some kind of wacky decks out there, um, you know, if you think lightning can strike descendants path is a curious choice at $3 because somebody actually makes a build that works. I mean, it'll be 20 bucks. Yeah, so I built this deck during Eldrazi Winter because I felt like the Eldrazi decks at the time were too broken um, to play in Modern. So just to be slightly nicer and because I don't particularly care about winning, I played a Descendants Path version of the Eldrazi decks. And the whole idea here was I just played Mutavault, right? Mm -hmm. So you just activate Mutavault in your upkeep and then whatever Eldrazi you find on top, you get for free. And because you get to cast it, you get the cast triggers. So... Ulamog and Emrakul end games real quickly if they come into play that way. Ness Invader. Ness, not Nettle or Ness Invader. 
Yeah, I don't, I don't bother running the S Invader. I think my version runs Eldrazi Mimic um, and then goes up the chain through Thought Knot and, and Reality Smasher that's, and then just happens that's, just happens to run the path. That's probably better. Ness Invader for the longest time was your best choice though before the Oath of the Gatewatch Eldrazi showed up. Yeah, the, you run Sky Spawner. Like it's basically like a tweak on yeah. like a, a worse version of the, the Bant Eldrazi uh, builds where you make room for Descendants Path just because you think it's fun. Um, I love the card. I'm I'm dubious about the spec because what we've seen with these like uh, fringe cards for modern is that even if somebody was to spike a, a like PTQ or something with this in top eight, it would come up on our radar. We would talk about it for a week, but then unless they get there, like be out black red hollow one did or lantern control and they turn the corner and and get big time um it's hard for this thing to to pop and it's also possible that it shows up in some product along the way just randomly because it's a cute card like it's a casual totally the kind of card that casuals are into um but we really need you know more pressure than just casuals to see this thing get up to say ten dollars where it's interesting yeah i mean i'm not saying it's a a a phenomenal choice i'm just like oh what would be kind of cool that could they could peak a little bit if uh, someone puts it together with Jace. I mean, really, what, what you know, it's, it's hard to just come up with this, all this type of stuff off the top of our head instantly. Um, you know, we really like to turn to professionals and people who are playing with a card and can give us some useful information when we try and come up with ideas for, for picks, because like we want to come up with something useful, not just like take shots at a, at a dartboard in the dark. So uh, definitely but, keep your eyes to social media in the coming days and weeks to, you know, see what people start to put together. I, I took the the temperature of the room with uh, Todd Stevens today. And I was like, Hey, Jace, blood braid brewing time. And he was just like, I hate modern. <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> Mr. Fairdex isn't too excited. Yeah. Yeah. It's good with uh course or He's got that going for him. Oh, that's true. You'll never miss that. All right, so moving right along, we just you and I just saw each other at GP Toronto this weekend, another strong modern tournament whose results are now at least partially invalidated by a shift in the meta necessitated by the two cards that were just unbanned. But local Dan Ward played off against uh, Canadian uh, former Canadian champion John Stern uh, in a Boggles versus Burn matchup that Boggles managed to take down. Also in the top eight, we had Jeskai Control, Elves, Affinity, Burn, Traverse Shadow, and Grishol Brand. Um, the hardest to pronounce uh, deck name in modern. And, uh, you know, what can we say other than that there was a another super diverse uh, top eight, uh, you know, that representative of a format that seemed to be um, as good as, as it was likely to get. And my key fear with this, this couple of unbannings that we got today is that they don't just add texture to the format, that they upset the apple curve. Uh, yeah, it is... Um... Definitely not a top eight that you would look at and think that you need to unban two high power level cards. Uh, also interesting that, you know, I can look through this top eight boggles, burn, elves, affinity. Uh, none of those are likely to add Jace or Bloodbraid Elf. Um, Just Guy Control, Shadow, maybe Crystal Brand will. Um, but it, it was a good top eight and fun to see boggles take it down. I've always I had a spot for that. Um, oh, shoot, I had another thought and I lost it. I mean, to segue into the the unbannings, um, you know, reflecting on this top eight, the the decks that did well in this top eight are decks that survive um, these unbannings and are competitive. Like that when because you have to play that blue tap out magic with Jace um, if you're casting him on turn four, 
in a situation where you could be holding up crypt- cryptic command. It opens the door if decks shift in that direction for decks like Burn and Boggles and and Elves Infinity that present strong, aggressive clocks. And that also applies to versions of Merfolk that people choose to bring to the table when they probably should be bringing humans. Um, And all of those decks are put you on a relatively linear turn four, turn five kill clock. You've also got Storm and other combo uh, arrangements that can do similar things in a different way. And so... Um, while Jace certainly adds options to the control side of the field and potentially enriches some mid-range strategies, um, it's not a slam dunk that he just takes over the format, right? No, I don't think it is. And I, I am of the opinion that he's too good for the form, that he's too good. And I've been saying forever that he shouldn't be unbanned. Uh, I guess we'll finally get to find out if that's true or not. And there's several decks that, that won't add either of these cards and seem like they might be resistant to it. Um, uh, we'll have to wait and see. But at the very least, we know that there are several strategies that seem quite capable that that aren't going to try and add Jace. Um, but I will tell you that you might be surprised to find out who tries to play it. You know, you can look at this Elves deck and be like, Elves doesn't need Jace. And you'd be like, well, probably not. But like, maybe Elves gets better with Jace. Like, people are going to try it. And I remember when Jace was in Standard and there were very few decks that Jace didn't make better. Well, and people are already talking about it going into decks that people were already worried about. So, for instance, Jace the Mind Sculptor as an additional fate sealing mechanism in Lantern Control. Um, you didn't like playing Lantern Control when you had to deal with their artifacts. How about when your sideboard only covers half their their way of controlling the top of your deck? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That. Um, and, and does the unbanning of Jace in Modern make uh, Miracles a thing? Like, do you now have to worry about Terminus and Counterbalance in Modern? Uh, you could, you know, you don't get to do it at instant speed, but uh, it's still pretty effective. Um, you know, like I mentioned earlier with the sentence path is modern. And I know this from personal experience lacks has lacked the ability to control the top of your library every turn to set things like that up to set up miracles. Uh, it's really annoying that you haven't been able to do that. But now you've got chase. So you can get away with that. Uh, so you can do. You can you can make not only do you get to control the top of your deck in terms of the cards coming to the top, but you also get to take the cards in your hand and put them back on top, which is really good because it means if you draw your excess uh, miracle cards, like in your opener, you can just stick them back in your deck and then draw it again in a turn or two. So like temporal mastery is pretty interesting too. Um, You know that we haven't seen that do that much in legacy with Jace where we saw in treat the angels instead but that doesn't mean that modern isn't a better fit for temporal mastery. So it certainly, it feels like it's not so much that there's tons of top tier archetypes that are going to jam Jason to them so much as it is like you'll put Jason to several top tier archetypes, but he'll also pick up several strategies and, and drag them up with him uh, possibly to the uh, loss of other effects, right? Like other decks may just find themselves invalidated against a new Jace Grixis control deck. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to see like an as foretold Jace build that casts the Jace for free on their turn and leaves the mana up for Cryptic Command. Yeah. You know, I um, my, my take on this was I had the initial thought, and I tweeted this out earlier, that essentially Wizards about a year-ish ago 
and I'm not sure in the time that, you know, what the t- t- timing of this would have been, but they both decided to put Jason masters 25 and decided to unban him. They said, uh, you know, we're going to unban him and we're going to reprint him in eternal masters, but that's probably not going to be enough, but we can put him in another set after that. That'll probably get us over the hump. Uh, and then we can kind of time masters 25 with a Jason ban, especially if they were kind of starting to see how the, um, the sales for the other sets we're doing, right? Like if, if Iconic Masters oh, was yeah. doing poorly yeah. and now they're like, I, how are we going to get people to buy Masters 25? And now suddenly the Jason side of Masters 25 is a lot more relevant than he was. So that gets people to the store to buy those boxes. Uh, so I, I, I sus- that was my take on it that they kind of lined this up a while ago and they knew what they were doing so that they could sell more boxes. Yeah, and... Corbin's take on on uh, Twitter was something along the lines of Magic players, oh, they they don't give us enough good stuff. Oh, Magic players also, oh, you gave us Jace, but just to sell packs. And it's like, no, the, the take is actually the format is good and stable. We don't need Jace. And you're introducing it not because the format needs it, but because you know it will sell packs. Yeah. And so I don't know if that timeline was 12 months ago or if it was six months ago and they or they were banding about the idea of him being in the set. And then they were like, well, you know, Iconic Masters wasn't doing isn't doing so well. You know, we're going to press as soon. What if, you know, we see how the modern pro tour goes and our our game plan is that if everything looks relatively stable, then we'll just reintroduce these cards that will help sell the set. I, I had um I talked to Mishra's Photoshop a little bit earlier today, and he had another take on this that was good too. And he thinks that uh, Iconic Masters and Masters 25 were initially one set. They were the same set. And that uh, Wizards was seeing the poor sales. And at at some point, IMA and Masters 25 got split into two different sets. Um, And then as part of the, and you know, Jace ended up in. the second set masters 25. And then once that was there, they're like, how are we going to get people to buy this? Oh, we can make Jace legal and now they'll care. Or it was sort of like they, they, Jace was in this one set. They split that into two into IMA and masters 25. They started to see really bad IMA sales and like, how the hell are we going to get people to buy masters 25? Jace is in masters 25. Let's unban him. Uh, Which is another interesting take. I don't think that that's necessarily a bad read either. I'm not sure we have any evidence to it. I think that's all I mean, pretty wild speculation. All of this is the, wild the other thing is, that I'm not, right? Uh, well, I think your point is valid. I, I think his is speculation. I think the the timelines don't quite line up because I don't think it was a year ago they were finalizing the list for this set, but a year ago they knew these two sets existed, and I think that the final press decisions on on um, uh, M25 may or may not have already been made when Iconic Masters sales figures were coming in. However, a company of that size doesn't necessarily have to wait for final sales figures. They do have predictive <laughs> algorithms that are supposed to inform them as to what the sales patterns are likely to be based on performance of past sets and so forth. So um, I definitely believe that they decided to try two master sets within a calendar year. And in fact, three, right? Because we're actually getting... Modern Masters 2017, Iconic Masters, and M25 all within a calendar year. Or um, where was Eternal Masters in that? No, the year before. Eternal Masters is the year prior. Okay. 
Yeah. But we had MM17 last spring, right? So from MM17 to M25 was just a year, and they threw in Iconic Masters in the fall. And I think Iconic Masters is actually the orphan product in there. And I think it shows because M25 has a strong theme, cards from the entire history of Magic. MM17 is an obvious set. Um, but Iconic Masters, everyone had questions about from the time it was announced to the time that it was released. And when yeah. we saw the final list, we were all like, yeah, but wait, what? <laughs> how A, how is it iconic? And B, why do we need this if we're getting M25 just down the road? So if anything, I would believe that the Orphan was, was the middle set. Um, but the other part of this is we don't like Bloodbraid Elf is spiking today, but we don't know if it's in the set. Nope. And it was in it was in last in Eternal Masters, not MM seventeen, obviously, because they, it didn't make sense to print it there last year. Um, and so it's been two years since it's been printed. Um, they're unbanning both. Wouldn't you think they're both in there? Uh, it does seem to me that it is likely that they would put Bloodbraid in that set, but I would have said that before they unbanned him, honestly. Well, and and but think about it this way: like if they're both there, it strengthens the case for it was a planned you know, attack on our wallets. Whereas if it's only one of the two, it seems more like they were caught off guard. Like that Jace might've been a late addition specifically to drive sales on the premise of unbanning, but that they weren't hundred percent sure what they were going to do with blood braid. And so by the time they had gotten there, they ended up not being in, but all of that being said, my money's on that. He is in the set and that everybody should be selling out their blood braids at 10 bucks and foils at whatever 20 to 30 or whatever you can get for well, them. I, because you're going to get, you're going to get a shot at these at uncommon at like a dollar or $2 in in a couple of, I don't know couple about of weeks. That, that like if one was in and not the other, that it would look like would look unplanned. I mean, uh, blood braid elf has like, it's four, less like, there's like 14 printings of blood braid elf or something like that. Or, you know, like six, there's a lot yeah, of, printings this, of that card already. This is the, third printing of jace right like at the original no fourth original ftv ema and then this would be the fourth one which really you could not have done it prior to this so this is the first reprint where you finally might have enough inventory but blood braid you crossed that bridge a while ago so like you could have been playing on both of them but also knew that you didn't need to put blood braid elf in those packs and to be fair it's not a master's it's not a modern master's set so the decision, the decision is not modern specific anyway. Mm-hmm. No, it's a shame because we could have a lot of fun talking about blood braid being unbanned and what that means. And it's fucking irrelevant with Jace because that is such a bigger topic of conversation. And you know what? I'm going to use my brief soapbox here to complain as I am wont to do. I don't understand how death Ray shaman made it out of wizards. Every damn part of that card is wrong. <laughs> Every line every number every symbol on that card is wrong and they let it out and i don't understand how and then when they realized jund was way too good in modern because it was and they had to decide between planning blood braid elf which had been in modern jund completely fine for years at that point i think or death rate shaman which had been out for six months and was clearly too good for the format they banned blood braid elf because they didn't want to ban the brand new card in in modern and have it look bad so they got rid of blood braid elf instead and of course they ended up having to get rid of death rate shaman anyways because the damn card is too good and today people are talking about banning it in legacy because it's so busted and poorly designed and poor blood braid elf has spent so long on the ban list it should never should never but should never have been on in the first place and it's all because of death rate shaman it is like seriously like gross negligence 
for the for death rate shaman to make it out the door <laughs> that it did blood raid to get banned because of it and to stay banned it's it bugs me james it bugs me he, he's like the he's like the obnoxious rick rich kid at the that's the head of the frat because his daddy was yeah it's just i i remember when they're like blood raid elf is banned in modern i remember yelling at my computer monitor like why did you ban blood raid that's not the problem it's death rate shaman three months later there goes death so, rate shaman so as to your earlier point, Bloodbraid Elf has actually only been printed six times, and four of them were in Sillery products, and there's only two foils. There's Eternal Masters and the original. Yeah, so it, it if it's not in this set, we don't have another Master set announced on the horizon. So there's a, unless it shows up in the new core set at the end of the summer, there is going to be an, a window of opportunity here where foils could go completely haywire. Because whether or not there's going to be four copies of Jace, I fully believe there are going to be Jun decks running three to four copies of Bloodbraid. Correct. There, because because the the angle here we haven't the obvious angle we haven't talked about yet for Bloodbraid is that Jun is is back, right? Like already you've got Reed Duke machining his way into top eights on the back of Jund when everybody else has kind of written the deck off. Now he gets to play with Bloodbraid Elf again. Yeah, there is by the way the F and M promo as well. Which has the sure, uh, but that right, but that but that inventory on that kind of promo is like yeah, always relatively easy yeah. to drain. No, I agree. It's certainly a, a big boost for John. Uh, you know, Bloodbraid Elf until Leona the Veil was pretty brutal back in the day. Um, but yeah, I mean that. Yeah, there's nowhere else to go. With this and now you you can like cascade in the collective brutality too. Like that's back. Uh, but was it you that posted on Twitter, like the sequence of thought season, a collective brutality into Liliana and then like blood braid into Coligan's command or something? Well, the sequence I posted was Jace. It was a uh, thought season into collective brutality, into Liliana, into Jace to fate seal you. <laughs> uh, but yeah, sure. if you top that off with blood braid, that's still pretty savage. Yeah. I mean, if, if it's thought season, a collective brutality into Liliana and then blood braid into a Coligan's command, like, that you're going to have trouble beating that draw. Yeah, for sure. And of course it's, you're going to have trouble getting all your lands and the play untapped on that one. But yeah, it's, it's going to be pretty brutal, but red elf is a great card, but you know, it's still a form on a card and you're going to occasionally cascade into stuff. That's not good, which is the only thing I ever cascaded into when I played the damn thing. But, uh, I I will say, I I will say I'm curious. I know Culligan's command is, has is maximum flexibility, but I'm curious whether blightning, uh, we'll find a uh, room as a one or a two of in some of these brews because blightning people have, is, has been completely off the radar without blood braid elf around. But that's another disgusting thing you can pop into because it's blood braid elf remembers a three, two haste creature. So it could potentially be hitting for three blightning is three more and you discard their last two cards. Yeah. I, I remember I can also, be I was not the only person trying blood braid into blightning in modern for way longer than uh, was probably necessary. And it never seemed good enough. Definitely tried, never really got there. I always wanted to get super spicy and Blood Raid Elf into Sidraxa Spectre. Uh, I always thought that was kind of fun. That's the 3-2 Hypnotic Spectre? Yeah, that the also has Unearth. So you Blood Raid into Hypnotics, into Sidraxa Spectre. And then if they Lightning Bolt it, which is fine because you got a card out of their hand. And then the next turn you Unearth it for two mana and you swing with it anyways. And then you hit and you take a card out of their hand. So you got two cards out of their hand and three life anyways. And that's worst case. But I mean, of course, you've got paths. You've got paths running around, so it's not as good. Yeah, there's all sorts of cool stuff. Uh, I know Falminator Mage is going to be a big target for Blood Raid Elf as a Stone Rain. I spent a while trying this Blood Raid Elf in the Stone Rain. You, you know what I'm going to try and do? I'm going to Blood Raid Elf into Boom Bus and Beck and Call and all the other damn 
Split cards, Wizards ruined. Todd Stevens was complaining about playing against Ponza when I saw him on Sunday at GP Toronto. Uh, Red, green, Ponza. Uh, I have to assume that they're into Blood Braid Elf into Stone Rain, maybe? Yeah, that that or a Molten Rain is, uh, is better if the Mana can support it. I, I mean, I don't know if they want to be casting like if the three two haste is of any use in that deck, or they just want to go higher up the chain. I mean, things like Thundermaw, Hellkite, and uh, Stormbreath Dragon get better with Jace on the board, right? Because he doesn't get a chance to impact them before they knock him off the table. Correct, uh, Thundermaw Hellkite, especially since it gets all the blockers out of the way as well. Um, yeah, and I would, and Ponza would definitely appreciate a three two haste like that, just because the the biggest problem land destruction has is not being able to finish the game off and then your opponent restabilizes. Uh, so having that pressure is, is important. Interesting. I mean, I, as a brewer, I'm, you know, a, a low level brewer. I'm fascinated by major shifts in the meta like this. So from, from the perspective of like being interested in seeing how mo- modern unfolds, I am, you know, reinvigorated. But I think the worry that everybody's going to have here is that we've again, tipped over the apple card for no reason when things were already going well. Yeah, it's funny that, you know, um, it kind of reminds me of uh, of descriptions of prescient vision that I've read in books where they're like, you know, so, you know, you don't think of it as being able to just see all the way into the future or whatever is the closer it is, the easier to see. So, like, you can kind of see what might happen soon or tomorrow, but the further out you get, the murkier it gets. And it's, at a certain point, you can't see that far into the future. You, you just can't see any further. And it's like. You know, when they unban Golgari Grave Troll, you and I can kind of piece together what that's going to look like, right? Like what that's going to do to the format, the deck, and so forth. A JSON ban is like, this is a hard wall. Like there's, it's, impo- it's impossible to see past this because it's just too big. Like we can't, we can't know what's beyond this until we actually start, until we cross that threshold and start to see what it looks like ourselves because it's, it's too much. There's, there's too much of a change there. Yeah, I mean, I'm excited to see how it plays out. And there's going to be a bunch of specs that are going to get unlocked along the way as the new archetypes show up. So I would be, if you're interested in, you know, the impact of the unbanning of these two cards, you need to take a look at the play schedule and see when the first time they get on camera on the SUG tour is, because that's going to be a morning you're going to want to have some stuff sitting in your your cart ready to go. Yep, and this is uh, definitely the best time to be watching what, you know, pros and grinders have to say on Twitter, you know, it's not even, it's not the, I was going to age myself. Uh, it's the, now is not what I'm looking at like LSV on Twitter. Like he's not the one that I'm really excited to, or like Huey or, uh, Owen or Tom Martell. Like they're not the guys who are going to be talking about this stuff. It's guys like Todd Stevens, uh, Christian Calcano. Um, and you know, those types of guys who are in the trenches and really playing and grinding all the time. Like, what are they doing? Well, what's, uh, what's, 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 Zach, Al- what's Zach Elsick going to bring to the table at this next modern tournament? Yeah, exactly. Although you can't bring the same deck Zach Elsick does cause I mean, he works magic with those. <laughs> um, yeah. So you want to, you want to watch like the star city grinders. Cause those are the guys who are going to tr- really be trying this stuff right away and also be talking about it on Twitter. I mean, the, the first wave of knowledge that everybody needs to plug into here is what's going to happen once magic online updates, right? Um, because the five O lists, you know, in the first week are going to give some strong clues towards where people should be focusing their attention. I fully expect that Jace will not work correctly in modern when it is legal. <laughs> well, I mean, they're gonna the, the next, they're gonna finally bring modern up after the update and people are gonna slam into those modern cues and find out that there's a bug <laughs> so so let's say <laughs> so let's say that jace uh is too strong 
six months from now, that's established. I think we can assume that he lasts about a year. Um, if he's a real problem, he won't survive the next modern pro tour. Um, but because they're printing him in the M25 set, they're not going to want people to be buying those and not able to play with them after they promised them they could. So I think he, he gets at least a year to do broken bad things if he's even capable of doing it. Oh, that was the other thing I wanted to mention. Doug brought up that a really good point. Uh, Doug Johnson from Brinson Brewery is like, so what happens if Jace is that good? What happens if he's really too, too far out there? Like, Aldrazi winter or somewhere in that vicinity, right? People are paying. I, while we were recording, I sold a moderately played copy of Jace for $130. <laughs> uh, people are spending a lot of damn money on this card. So you got people who are definitely in place. That's for 600 bucks. Yeah. So what's going to happen in six months when this card is clearly taking over the format, like wizards is going to be like, well, shit, like people went out and spent a month's rent on one card you know, they've been waiting so long for. And if we just turn around and ban it immediately, you know, people, you thought people were upset that the reflector mages got banned. Uh, but the flip side of that, like no one wants to play modern anymore because it's just Jace mirrors. So it, it's so odd because the risk here is so high, right? Like they could easily find themselves in a situation where there's absolutely no good choice. And what's the reward? Like, well, what but, do you get? But, but this, this is where this falls back on the theory I've been espousing for years now, which is that, what sells the most cards is churn. You need change to sell cards because change is where everybody runs out and buys the new thing that they need. And so as long as their math is telling them that when we screw up, it's not damaging our, damaging the brand or the revenue streams to ne- the extent that we need to be as concerned as we would be by selling less of a product that is forthcoming. So they're basically saying we're going to err on the side of knowing we can sell through the volume we want to sell through. If that means that people are upset, We'll fix it. We'll give them something new to pay attention to. So, for instance, out, coming out of a year of terrible things with Standard, are you telling me that they have not just harnessed all of the positive energy around Modern and then threw a, a wrench in the works, but one that has people as excited as they are concerned? And so now, like, the fact that Standard kind of sucked for the last year is on the back burner of everybody's mind because now they got to figure out what the hell to do with their Modern deck. So, so Wizards has adopted the Trump, Trump style of PR, which is no one can pay attention to the building you burned down yesterday if there's another one on fire today. Yep. And and the thing is, like, it might just go really well. Like, if they pull this off and Blood Braid and Jace are reintroduced and it just gives Modern more texture, like, there's no, there's maybe the decks narrow, a, like, a little, maybe 20% or something, but those decks are strong and interesting and play into the whole skill-based um, events for pros that makes uh, the format good to watch, but you still see outsider decks come in you know, at a left field every once in a while, then they look brilliant and they get a win. They get to put a notch on their belt that's not a negative for once, which has been a real problem lately. So, and and, and worst case scenario is they do what they did with Golgari Grave Troll, um, which is put it back on the ban list. Now, the downside here, as you mentioned, is that people were in on Grave Trolls for like $60 a set, not $500 a set. And so... The problem is exacerbated, but some of the pros are saying that they're not even sure this is a Jace format. So I guess we'll see. Yeah, I mean, it might not be. You know, we, we certainly are leaning heavily on the side of him it, at the very least becoming a tier one staple and uh, at worst ruining it. But maybe we end up on the other side and it's not really impactful. You know, people were concerned when uh, Bitter Blossom was unbanned and when Ancestral Visions was unbanned. Uh, I was a little surprised that Ancestral Visions didn't do more than it has, although I don't 
think that's necessarily out of the picture at this point. So Jace could go that way as well. Um, I still think that the majority of people who say that Jay should be legal and modern have never actually played against the card and are fools. But there are pros who say that too. Right. And again, pros are still people. So, so maybe we'll we'll try in the next week or two to get a, a pro that knows more than we do um, uh, to come on and talk us through what they think is going to happen next. Uh, if, if Todd's in the mood, maybe it'll be Todd or maybe we'll reach out to somebody new, um, uh, depending on who feels excited about the discussion. So uh, I guess that's pretty much a wrap for this week. May, you, may, you, yeah. may your specs from this morning all work out well for you all. <laughs> all right where can our listeners find you james you guys can find me as per usual on uh twitter at mdg critic as well as via my occasional articles on mtgprice.com and i'll be publishing out um some uh, a guide to fi- mtg finance in 2018 later this week so keep an eye out for that okay and i'm a guide to finance in 2018 already owned jace's uh, I am Travis Allen. I'm on Twitter at Wizard Bumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. Every Monday at MTG Price, I write the Watchtower series, and we just put up a new one a couple hours ago. Also, occasionally the web book cast Cartel Aristocrats. Uh, I'd also like to yeah. remind our listeners to check out the MTGPrice.com Pro Trader service for just $4.99 a month or $49.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a sweet set of online collection management and buy list tools that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. All right. Brings us to the end of episode 105. Uh, I thought this was a great chat and excited to see what takes place over the next week, James. And I will see you next week. See you guys all on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. Mm-hmm.